Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, whole bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery available. Maybe if I were stronger, I would have. Gary Hoffman he called me at my desk at lunchtime and asked me, uh, was I free for dinner? Shannon Farron. Are we supposed to take her out to dinner that night? Gary and Shannon. There is no problem. Magnolias on Netflix and describing it as a sugary, a salve, as it were, a nice little show to take you away from everything, this nice little town called Serenity, be on guard because it gets dark, it took a turn, Sweet Magnolias, not so sweet. Doesn't end so sweetly. I don't know why you're so angry about it. Well, because it. It, was so, it was supposed to be something nice all the way through, and it was not. Again. Wh- I texted your wife in all caps with swear words yesterday. Ooh, all caps, huh? Yep. Um, what about uh, Jamie Lynn Spears made you think that this show was going to end up well? It was going to end up in a positive light. Is anybody else really worried about Britney, P.S.? And her hostage photos that she posts on Instagram. <laughs> I, I'm, I think gonna, she's I'm go- not going to lie to you. That's a blind spot for I me. I think she's going through something again. Here, I'll show you. Hasn't she been going through something for a long time? Yeah. She's never not going through something. It's, wait a minute. Is today the OJ chase? Yes. Today is not only the OJ chase, Gary. It is also the day Arnold Palmer played his final U.S. Open, the day the United States hosted its first World Cup, Game 5 of the 1994 NBA Finals, the Rangers-Stanley Cup Parade, and Ken Griffey Jr. tied for the most homers before June 30th. Wow. Just a little knowledge to throw on you. Thanks for dropping that on me. How did, was that all on the tip of your tongue? <laughs> Yes, I have extensive <laughs> knowledge of June 17th. Pretty, it's, uh, very These are the weird. pictures that Britney's been posting. Oh, sh- yeah. It, it's the it's the, the, the mascara thing that makes it look like she's she, been crying. It looks like, uh, like a, a child trafficking site on her Instagram profile. I suppose that is what it looks like. Why are you, first of all, is that the show account that you're looking at that on? Because no, okay, that's your account. Like, yes, that's just you. Don't as worry, a fan I won't. Of I won't sully our Gary and Shannon Instagram. Uh, well, we will talk about this a little bit later, but it is important that Fulton County, Georgia DA Paul Howard is expected to make an announcement at noon today, our time, 
about whether or not he's going to be charging one or both of the officers involved in the shooting death of Richard Brooks last week. He had told CBS, the, the DA did, that he was going through all the ballistic evidence that he could find before he made his decision and then trying to determine also if the officer who shot thought that his life was in danger when he fired his weapon. That officer was already fired from the Atlanta Police Department and the chief, uh, chief quit hours after that shooting last Friday. Does it get worse than Mitch McConnell mansplaining racism in America? Um, like, there are some that you should sit out, right? Well, I mean, I don't have a problem. He said he believes America is not a racist country. But that the stain is not totally gone from slavery in the Civil War. Yeah. I'm just saying, when you're Mitch McConnell, I don't know if you get to weigh in. Well, at, the, at this I, juncture, I don't think he shouldn't weigh in. I just think it's one of those where he himself. Uh, what's the I'm trying to figure this out. We can't ignore what he said, um, but it may have been. Are you saying it may have been better if Mitch just was not saying anything right yeah. now? OK, yeah, that I'll go with. Uh, the Justice Act is the Republicans answer to the the uh, Democrats and their policing legislation. Yeah, this was um, introduced today, and Mitch McConnell is one of the people that's in the forefront of this. Also, Tim Scott, Republican senator from South Carolina, the only black senator in the Republican Party, talked about how important this was going forward. The answer to the question of which side do you support, it's I support America. And if you support America, you support restoring the confidence that communities of color have in institutions of authority. Um, Now, uh, among other things, this law from Republicans uh, would beef up the requirements of law enforcement to compile use of force reports under something called the George Floyd Walter Scott Notification Act. Also, it would track no knock warrants now, not do away with not do away with them, but track them like not uh, do away or change use of force policies, but compile them. Yeah, and I think the only thing I can think of is that the that Republicans would tend to say let the individual states or even the individual agencies within those states come up with a plan for no knock warrants. Um, it, chokeholds is another big thing. Uh, this law would encourage agencies to do away with the practice of chokeholds or risk losing federal funds. That's similar to what the executive order was from the president, but it doesn't require them to do away with chokeholds. Now, a lot of big city departments have long stopped the use, uh, LAPD for one, uh, NYPD for the other after the death of Eric Garner. Legislation also would provide funding for training to de-escalate situations and to establish something called a duty to intervene protocol to prevent excessive force, which usually applies to other officers on the scene if they see one of their brothers or sisters there uh, doing something that would be excessive force that they those other officers on the scene would have a duty to to get involved with that. This is not as sweeping as the Democrats' proposal. The House Judiciary Committee is going to consider that today before a House the vote is expected in the House next week. But all of this, all of this, I mean, this plan, the plan from Democrats, the executive order signed by the president, all of this shows just how. Quickly, the national debate changed over the course of two and a half weeks. Uh, this was not an issue that we were, uh, what's the word, 
wouldn't say it's not an issue that was important. It was not an issue that people were moving anything on, uh, definitely not at the levels of Congress. What is going on in Florida? One of the first states to open up. A lot of things planned for Florida, like the president's rally, the NBA, whatever will be of that that season. Uh, And we've got some problems at the Orlando airport. Yeah, but not as bad as they've been advertised. The governor made it sound like the whole airport needs to be shut down because everyone's got the Rona. That is not at all what happened, and we're still waiting for the governor to fix his mess. We'll explain that when we come back. Look, I don't mean to frustrate, but I always make the same mistakes, yeah. Always make the same mistakes, Christ. I'm bad in love. Ooh, ooh. But you can't blame me for trying. You know I'll be lying, saying, the one. Ooh, ooh. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM640 live everywhere. On the iHeartRadio app. Later next hour, I have a sports story I have never heard before. I started crying last night. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be so honest, huh? I sound like a crazy person. Hey, did you cry was, at what? Sweet Magnolias? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh. But I did watching uh, Mike Singletary of Football Life. Oh, the, okay. Well, that ma- that explains was- the, your tweet from last night. Oh, yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> Jeez. 642 tackles in four years. Uh, That's incredible. Um, but, yeah, that was a tearjerker. They do those really well, this uh, the is, NFL Network. This is a sports story from it, – it also is a football story, and I don't, I don't want to give away too much because I want you to be surprised by it. I had never heard this story before in my life um, about – it was kind of a – early 20th century football story. So, you know, it's good and low scoring, but uh, I'll, I'll share that with you next hour. Speaking of sports, uh, there's increased chatter about Colin Kaepernick and the LA chargers. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I've, Anthony the Lynn, first I've heard of it. Anthony Lynn now is talking about it, uh, saying that he does fit in with the scheme they run and the system that they have. And that uh, it looks like there might be a workout planned for him interesting um we, and it's going to be awkward when when i see him and uh and i say and everyone else wants to talk about the country and about his contribution to the cause and i say all right new orleans three minutes 26 <laughs> uh, 26 seconds on the clock you've got frank gore in the backfield explain to me the decision oh Process. This is the best part about it. If that does happen, <laughs> I want a camera crew oh, to follow you. It's going to be the where, first thing that I, yeah. that we talk about. He's going to sit down and he's going to be like, I'm answering all of these questions about right. police reform and police brutality and racial injustice yeah. and my situation and, and what like, happened. Three minutes, 26 seconds. <laughs> I thought we were going to score too quickly. <laughs> and Atlanta was going to get the ball back. But Crabtree. Three times. Anyway, that's going to be fun. But you know what? I feel like it would be a really cathartic conversation. I was just going to say, he'd probably enjoy it. I think so, too. Uh, Because he gets to talk about actual football once again. Well, uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, said in a news conference yesterday, which I watched most of it, and it was about how things have been going well in Florida. They've been able to increase testing. They've been able to provide uh, nursing homes and adult care facilities like that, uh, much more resources than they had in the past. And while 
they have seen cases go up. The percentage of positive results in these tests still hovers around four and a half, five percent, which is similar to what we're seeing here in California. He said something weird, though, when he was talking about larger clusters that do exist and are popping up in the state of Florida. He said. 500 workers at Orlando International Airport were tested for covid 260 of those came back positive. Okay. Again, he said 500 people were tested. 260 came back positive. That would be, that would be a positivity rate of about 52%. So somehow it gets out that 52% of airport workers in Orlando have the COVID. Okay. So there are approximately 22,000 people who work at Orlando International Airport. And what the governor did was he mixed two numbers together that shouldn't be together. Yes, there were 500 workers at Orlando International Airport who, over the course of three days, were tested for COVID-19. But of those 500, two came back positive, which would be down around 0.4%. Now, the public health director for Orange County, where Orlando is... And the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority CEO had to put out a statement that said, we have no idea what the governor's talking about, but here's our best guess. Last week, we did test the 500 people. We got two positive results. From the middle of March through June 36, we saw 132 airport workers and 128 people who don't work at the airport but had gone through there or were linked to people who tested positive, did test positive. So that 132 plus the 128 would put it up right around 260. So what the governor did was say, we tested 500 people last week, but over the course of three and a half months, we've had 260 people test positive connected to Orlando International Airport. So on Twitter today, People are suggesting that the NBA not play or at least not use the Orlando airport because everybody got the corona. And that is not at all what happened. But it's easier to do that. It's easier to read a 280-character tweet right. than, and to blast the Republican governor of Florida than it is to actually go, wait a minute, that seems really high. Florida is like most places where the number of cases are up substantially uh, because there is more testing being done, m- most likely. Uh, but we're seeing the hospitalizations down, way down, like 50%, around 50%, 43% actually. ICU hospitalizations down 43% from just mid-April. Uh, the number of people on ventilators down 56% from mid-April. Yeah, and that, those, I mean, that news conference from yesterday from Governor DeSantis was a very positive look at they've been able to control this. They've been able to put the resources where the sort of the main front of this is, which is in those nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities and jails and things like that where people don't can't get out. The problem is he screwed up that number so badly that Orlando started trending on social media. And the governor, as far as I can see, has not yet put out a statement to clarify what he was talking about. And they were relying on the uh, on the airport to do it. So. Will you read that headline of the story I just handed you? Gwyneth Paltrow plugs smell. (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow plugs 
smells like my orgasm candle with help from her son, Moses. There's a new show on ABC. Thank God. And it's not about Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> it's, uh, it's called The Genetic Detective. And it's about our friend, Cece Moore, and all the work she's been able to do with cold cases and DNA. We'll be talking to her about it when we come back. And do what you watch on Wednesday. Shannon, <laughs> KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Imagine <laughs> eight ball rolling through a Friday. New uh, York's governor has signed an executive order recognizing Juneteenth as a holiday for state employees. On uh, that's Friday, by the way, night, right. June nineteenth. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about Juneteenth because uh, it was another one of those spots of of history that. We were never told about, right. or that I remember ever having any. Sort I don't of time remember ever being on. taught about that. We'll talk about that on Friday. The Department of Justice has filed a breach of contract lawsuit against John Bolton now, trying to delay the publication of his book. Supposedly, the book contains classified information that could compromise national security. At least that's according to the Department of Justice. Um, the book is called The Room Where It Happened, set to be released on Tuesday. He's got a big interview con- coming up on uh, on Sunday. Time for What You Watching Wednesday. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. Well, ABC has a show, The Genetic Detective, and it's all about C.C. Moore and her work using DNA technology to solve cold cases. We've actually talked with C.C. before, and we consider her a friend of the show, whether she likes it or not. C.C., thanks for taking time for us again today. (laughs) I am a friend of the show. I was hoping you'd ask me to come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. So tell us about this cold case, 30 years old, the murder of 8-year-old April Tinsley. April Tinsley's case is obviously incredibly tragic, like all of them, but because she was a child, it makes it even worse, I think. Uh, All of us parents out there can just imagine that's our worst fear, that our child disappears while she's out playing. Um, It was a case that the detectives had worked so hard on for decades. Many, many people had been persons of interest and had DNA taken but the person who was really responsible had just never come across their radar. Um, the This process of, you know, decades later being able to put all of this together, um, does it, uh, what's the word, does it bring a sense of closure, not just to the families, obviously, of people like April Tinsley, uh, but, but law enforcement that worked so hard for so long and just could not have the pieces to put together and close this case? It does. I tend to avoid the word closure for the families because I've learned over the last two years of doing this work that they never get closure, unfortunately. But it does provide answers and resolution, and in some cases like this one, justice. Uh, For the detectives involved, I do think it brings closure. Uh, I was involved in uh, the Terry Lynn Hollis case down in Torrance, and I have to tell you, at that press conference, there were generations of detectives who showed up who 
just needed that one case to be solved. And so it is something that really sticks with them. And I've been so impressed with how emotionally invested these detectives are in these cases. Now, in- also the com- I was just going to say the communities are also very much in need of closure and resolution. A lot of these communities carry these cases with them as well. In April's case, it looks like you were able to use the DNA or what they knew about the DNA to put together a, a composite sketch of the perpetrator? Yes. So Parabon, the company that I work with, can take the DNA from a crime scene and use that to predict what the unknown suspect looks like. So that was the first step of Parabon working with uh Fort Wayne on this case. But then what really helped us solve it was genetic genealogy, which is a separate process, but it's based on the same, uh, how do I say this, very advanced genetic technology called genotyping. And then in this case, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a community that was very much uh, hurt by what happened to April. It looks like there was notes left on barn doors for several years after uh, April was murdered in 1988. Was that, did they connect those or did you connect those to the the, the person? Yes, it, it was him. And that was one of the reasons this case was so high profile because it happened and then he didn't just disappear. He taunted authorities and he taunted the community. Um, The writing on the barn was his writing, it turns out, once we found him. And the notes that were left on children's bikes and at homes had his DNA uh, in those plastic baggies that he left. So he wanted the crime to stay in the public's eye and stay in the media. I I know this is a weird question, but how do you come up with the cases that you use for, uh, for the show, The Genetic Detective? Well, a lot of things came into consideration in in this uh, in in the series. We use, we show a lot of firsts. It's uh, the first conviction through investigative genetic genealogy was the April Tinsley case. The first conviction through a jury trial was our first episode, the Jay Cook and Tanya Van Eilenberg case. The first exoneration through investigative genetic genealogy was our third episode, the Angie Dodge case. So because we were hoping to educate the public about this new tool for law enforcement, I think we wanted to show the beginnings. Um, It also is just a matter of timing. You know, did something get solved in time to make it into the production schedule? We considered many, many other cases. There are dozens and dozens we could have featured, uh, but it just turned out those were the ones that fit. This is listen. We've talked before. Uh, th- this is one of the most fascinating aspects of law enforcement, and the way that the this mystery solving has changed in the last even two years, three years. I mean, we spent some time yesterday talking about, uh, and the day before, talking about the Joseph D'Angelo Golden State Killer case, and how it's just almost mind-boggling how we can thirty, forty, even fifty years later be able to solve these cases that we thought were just going to, you know, be legendary at times and never have an actual answer to them. Cece, how hard is it for you uh, personally when you get involved with cases like like April's, for instance, and knowing that there's a mother out there that never found out what happened or never found out 
who's to blame for what happened to her little girl? It, it is a heavy burden. My work has always been about families and providing answers. But usually there's a happy ending or happy beginning when we can help an adoptee find their biological family. In these cases, there's never a happy ending. I can't undo what has happened. And so it is very sobering. But I feel incredibly fortunate that I can be part of finally providing these answers. And even if they can't get true closure, I've seen a huge burden lift off the shoulders of the parents and the family members that have carried this weight for so long. Well, Cece, thank you. We're excited to uh, to check in on The Genetic Detective. It airs on Tuesday nights on ABC. Uh, great work, as always. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks for your time, too. Thank, thanks for having me. I always appreciate it. See, friend of the show. We know. Friend of the show. That's right. Um, uh, Sweet Magnolias was a letdown. It ended not to my delight. And then last night, I finally... Do you remember how hot and heavy I was about Westworld? Yeah. I fizzled out. I finally finished it. Yeah. It didn't uh, fill the Westworld size I hole in your heart. I just feel like they were stoned the entire time. Yeah. And tried to do that thing where when you get stoned, you get really philosophical. Right. And it's too esoteric. And like, stop talking. Just, right. just let me enjoy my Maybe high, you should you know? get high before you watch it the next time. Like rewatch it? Yeah. High? And see if it strikes a different chord. No appeal. No appeal. You don't strike me as somebody who uh, goes home and eats gummies. No. No. You take a nap. That's my high. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. More What You Watch on Wednesday when we come back. Baby, please have mercy on me. Take it easy on my heart. Even though you told me to hurt me. You keep tearing me apart. To please have mercy. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The Riverside County DA, Mike Hesterin, has announced the arrest and charges against an alleged serial rapist, Darren Cook, accused in at least half a dozen sexual assaults between 1996 and 2007 in Corona and Riverside. We'll have to do that at the uh, at the top of the hour. We also have been following the story out of uh, Georgia. It looks like the Fulton County DA is expected about a little more than an hour from now to announce if any charges are going to be filed against uh the two officers involved in the shooting death of Rashard Brooks last week. The DA did tell a news agency that he's reviewing evidence and uh, trying to determine if the officer who shot thought that his life was in danger when he did fire his weapon. Karen wrote to me and asked if I had finished watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix. She says, I did the other night. Wow, what a disgusting, arrogant, vile human. I stopped watching that because I wanted something nice. I would suggest this. If you're going to watch it, watch it early in the day so it's not the last thing you see before you go to bed. You finished it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's only four episodes. It's about an hour each. The, the problem, um, I was unhappy with the ending of it. Clearly, everybody was unhappy with the fact that Jeffrey Epstein died in prison. And, he, you know, these women and girls did not get any sort of justice out of this. But there were so many questions about these Named and unnamed co-conspirators of his, specifically Ghislaine Maxwell. Like, where in the world is Ghislaine Maxwell? And why is it that we can't find this woman? Or even if, if 
are we even looking for her? I mean, those types of questions that were never answered by the show, I think, were frustrating. Um, Below deck Mediterranean just lost one of the deckhands. Overboard? No, racism. Oh. oh. Well, that's... I can't figure out what his post was, but Bravo announced this morning that they have uh, fired him. And they're in post-production now. It airs on Mondays. Um, but they said they're going to limit his role in the in the show moving forward. So they just edit him out? How I guess. You... But he was kind of a major part of the this week's episode. Was he a guy with an accent? No, but he calls his boss, the bosun, sweetie. It's a female. Oh. And that doesn't go over well. Not today, it doesn't. Not with the female captain either. Oh, that's right. Because it, it's the Mediterranean one. It's not right. Captain Ron or whatever his name is. Uh, so Sweet Magnolia's ended for you. We still haven't seen the end of it. Uh, my wife finds it cloying and hard to watch, but it's a nice distraction, especially it is like a good distraction. From, from Jeffrey Epstein, for example. Right. If you're going to cleanse your palate with a little sweet magnolias. Here's my other problem with sweet magnolias. Spoiler alert. That dude can't kiss. Uh, the, the baseball, baseball player. Uh, he they, their, their chemistry when they make out is terrible. That was another problem I had with well, it. The, uh, for me, the production value of it, the, that Covington, Georgia, which is, I guess, the, the fictional town of Serenity, South Carolina. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. It is beautiful. I'd love to visit that. Sounds like a wonderful town. But it's lit like a soap opera from the 1980s. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's warm. So it's very that. warm, the the lighting and all of that. Um, I know, but it was nice. It was not complicated. It was an escape. And then that dude couldn't kiss, and they they ended it very poorly. Violently? I mean, I don't even know where you're going. Oh, I, I got a word there. I saw a reaction. I don't want to give it away. Is it going to turn into a murder mystery? How many episodes do you have left? I don't know. I don't know how many are there. Ten. I don't. I have no idea. All I know is you knew enough to know the lawyer that was Britney Spears's daughter, sister, sister yeah. leaves the, the I, American so Pie. So whatever guy. episode that was, I think I've yeah, gotten. Yeah. Okay. Part. So you've got like two episodes left. Well, I've finished finally Westworld season three, and uh, there was a CNN review of it that I saw, which was which was. Pretty spot on for how I felt. The show has become increasingly incomprehensible, at least for anyone not willing to put in the work of trying to remember all of the assorted connections. Further complicated by the fact that dying in Westworld, the show, is often not a permanent state of affairs because there are questions about who's really human, who isn't human. And and they play with the timeline. They didn't do that as much in in the third season. But they did do this thing where instead of the timeline jumps, they were doing uh, augmented reality jumps or or, um, virtual reality jumps where there would be a conversation going on between two characters. But one of them's not really there. It's oh, just a hologram. God. But you don't, I don't know that. I don't want to work that hard. And that, I, that's probably part of the Sweet Magnolia. I, and I get it. I mean, the, you know, the first season is uh, rope. Is it? Is it ethical for us to make robots that live human lives, basically? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the philosophical questions about that. The third season is, is it okay for robots or computers in this case to control humans and take away their free will? Uh, 
I mean, there will be college classes that will discuss those types. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need a college-level philosophical discussion when I'm trying to watch a TV show. Right. And that's what was frustrating about it. But, I mean, special effects were great. Marshawn Lynch was fantastic in it. It's such a surprise, fun character to see him pop in every once in a while. He's in it? Yes, we've talked about this. <laughs> it was really, that was pretty fun. I mean, he couldn't act his way out of a paper bag, but no. but it was just, it was fun to see him involved with that. Oh, that's so. great. Okay. Uh, anyway, when we come back, that big story uh, out of uh, the Inland Empire today, a serial rapist that they have arrested. We'll talk about that. Good news. Gary and Shannon will continue. Did he say it smells like a duck? Who said that? I thought Nick just said that. Nick. What smells like a duck? It's an odd comment. Well, yesterday we were talking about this earlier. One of the headlines out of Florida (laughs) is that uh, the Orlando airport had a 52% COVID positive rate. Uh... The governor screwed up some numbers there. He said 500 workers were tested, 260 were positive. That's not what happened. 500 were tested, two were positive in last week's tests. But they said through uh, from mid-March through the middle of June, airport workers, airport staff, and then people connected to those staff, 260 tested positive. Did so. you see that Nick is already bleeding this morning? There was a pool of blood on his uh, on his desk. And he didn't realize that his arm was bleeding. It wasn't exactly a pool. It was. Uh, there were several drops of your blood there on were, the desk. There were. It you was. Know, uh, it reminded us of when Rich Murata came into our office at one time yeah. and didn't realize he was bleeding and bled all over our couch and the walls and the walls. And then Cece Moore called and she was like, "Give me that couch. I got to test." That. <laughs> um, uh, the Department of Justice has filed a breach of contract lawsuit against a uh, against John Bolton. This is all an attempt to delay the publication of his book called The Room Where It Happened. It's supposed to come out on Tuesday and expected to be pretty critical of President Trump. My understanding is in his interview that he does uh, that's supposed to air on Sunday on ABC, the very first answer to any question, he refers to the president as a liar. So you can imagine it's not going to be a good uh, it's not going to be a, a positive look at Donald Trump. A new poll shows the protesting is working, that there's been a dramatic shift that has taken place when it comes to the country's opinions on policing and race. This a new poll by the Associated Press says that more Americans today than five years ago believe police brutality is a very serious problem that too often goes undisciplined and unequally targets black Americans. It found that about half of American adults now say police violence against the public is very or extremely uh, or is a very or extremely serious problem. Only three in 10 said the same thing in July of 2015. Uh, Great news coming out of uh, the Inland Empire. A man has been arrested in Arizona and charged with a series of rapes and assaults that took place starting in 1996 and uh, all the way through 2007 in Corona. Uh, This was the announcement from just a short time ago. Oh, 
This was the announcement from just a short time ago. In 2019, the Corona Police Department senior detective Gail Gottfried and forensic technician Lindsay Walker began actively looking into several sexual assault cold cases occurring between 1995 and 2007. During this period, several sexual assaults occurred in the cities of Corona and Riverside, five of which occurred in Corona between 2006 and 2007. Senior Detective Gail Gottfried contacted detectives from the Riverside Police Department to compare case notes and discovered a DNA match existed between a Corona and Riverside case. In January 2020, Corona Police detectives submitted matching DNA from a Riverside cold case to the FBI's forensic genetic genealogy team. Investigators used this technology to identify a potential pool of suspects. And through a profile match later, FBI investigators were able to identify 50-year-old Darren Cook from Chino Valley, Arizona, as a person of interest. The investigation revealed that Cook lived in the city of Corona and the city of Riverside during the time period when the rapes were committed. Additionally, our FBI partners in Phoenix, Arizona, were able to obtain a DNA sample from Cook for DNA comparison. On April 24, 2020, our detectives were notified that the DNA sample collected from Cook matched the DNA profile from a 2007 case and multiple Riverside cases. Through a cooperative effort between the Corona Police Department, the Riverside Police Department, FBI, Phoenix and Riverside offices, the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office, and the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, Cook was arrested on May 26, 2020 at about 1.30 p.m. There's one thing in there that uh, he didn't elaborate on that I would love to know the answer to. He says that they contacted the FBI in Phoenix and that the FBI agents were able to obtain a DNA sample from this guy. Listen, if you're a rape suspect, you're not going to voluntarily give that up. I, and, and he kind of he kind of brushed past that. Obtain I, means that they probably got it from um, cold pizza, cold pizza or trash, trash. A cup. Uh, I mean, I'm the, not going to say Ohio, but, you know, well, that's one of those places. That's one of those things that um, that I think is the is the one of the keys to these types of cases. We that's, saw it with Joseph D'Angelo, too. Right. Uh, well, that's how they caught uh, April Tinsley's yeah. murderer. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that type of uh, of policing is. It's fascinating to me just that that somebody's going to follow this guy around and pick up a cigarette butt or a cold piece of pizza or a cup that he drank out of and get this DNA profile from that. So anyway, good news. Uh, Darren Cook, 50 years old, charged now six counts of forcible rape, four of forcible oral copulation, three counts of assault with intent to commit rape, and a couple of counts of uh, kidnapping as well. Arrested like... Uh, like the chief said, arrested at the end of May in Prescott, Arizona, and has been extradited and is now in Riverside. Criminals who got away with things for decades now, I've got to believe, do not sleep easy, knowing all of these DNA technology arrests are happening. Yeah, sweating quite a bit. Um, That's why you should not be worried. All of the crimes that happened in your past have already been paid for. Yeah, I've been arrested for my crimes. Yeah. That's okay. From Disneyland to Dodger Stadium. You're a rough person. Rough person. I wouldn't go that far. No, I I would say. You would say yes to that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Pretty rough. All right. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Really, really rough.
Is it hurtful Wednesday? I just, well. How tough am I now? <laughs> Gary and Janet will continue. Let's see. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Next hour, uh, next segment, actually, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in Orlando. Not the airport. That that was that was not a story. There's not 52% of workers at the Orlando airport that are positive for COVID. But, but Orlando specifically, what's going to happen when the NBA gets there? They have a more than a 100-page safety plan. Again, people just making rules up out of thin air that sound like they're uh, they're doing something preventative. Safety theater continues. Safety theater, and then um, before the before noon, I'm going to tell you a story that I found yesterday. I'd never seen this story before. Uh, it, it's about college football from the early early 20th century. I mean, it still exists today. It's pertinent today, but it's one of those stories that. Uh, I think gets gets missed uh, potentially because the color of the skin of the person who's involved. But I'll tell you the story about that guy coming up. I'm excited for this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've never heard this one. Well, uh, the what are you talking about mental? Oh, health... that story. I thought I was talking. You're talking about excited about my story. No, I am excited about your story. I don't. You don't have to say it. Like I, I really am. I pretty like sports rough. stories. Pretty rough. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But this is also a good story. Go on. The mental health first team. This is why you have a bad reputation. I know. (laughs) The mental health first team up in Sacramento launched in January. It's part of an effort of what's called Anti-Police Terror Project Sacramento. They say the goal is to create a community response to people in mental health crisis so law enforcement doesn't show up and potentially escalate the situation. The mayor there, Daryl Steinberg, has proposed using $5 million from Sacramento's general fund to widen the effort to create a group of non-law enforcement officials to handle mental health-related 911 calls. He said, why is it when a family member is in crisis, the only recourse in society is to call 911? We put officers in situations that they're not adequately prepared for, and because they have weapons, put others in danger. And I don't think you're going to find a hell of a lot of police officers to disagree with him. Yeah. Uh, Considering that that would be one of the most dangerous situations to go into, especially if you don't know. I mean, they're saying that for one thing, you or I would be able to determine that someone is having a mental health uh, episode of whatever. And that's not always the case. But in those people, in those families where they know the brother, father, mother, sister, daughter, someone has had a history of mental health episodes. This may be the right way to do this. They said that they are, this mental health first team, is filling a gap. For example, uh, if someone sees someone behaving erratically, you see someone down uh, on Alameda down here walking down the street with, you know, yelling at themselves, walking in traffic, clearly they're not in their right mind. If that happened in Sacramento County, they would call a 24-hour mental health crisis line. Um, 
but that's not necessarily set up for in-person interventions. Used, the way it would work in Sacramento County is a 911 call would go in and the officers may show up, but they would determine on scene that someone needs a mental health counselor or somebody from MH first, mental health first. The mission would be to go in and try to get somebody to accept mental health help. The officer, if they're doing it, or the mental health person, uh, mental health first team member would connect them to a nonprofit. You could call in uh, community sport teams made up of a clinician and a peer counselor. But if they're disabled, they pose an immediate threat to themselves or others. Officers can clearly take them to uh, a hospital and put them under a 5150 hold. The problem is, is it's never that black and white. It's never easy to decide if somebody who's going through a mental health issue is going to be a danger to the public and where, where you would want police there to be that buffer between them and whoever they're going to harm. Well, um, you know, you, you think of, uh, I, you know, LAPD getting involved with mentally ill people in Venice in recent years, yeah. you know, and, and, and a lot of the time these people have weapons on them, you know? And so it, it's great to say, Oh, you can look at a situation. If somebody's being crazy, you can call a mental health professional and, other than 911, but what about the times when there's a mental health issue that's armed? Right. Yeah, and they talk about the the appearance of a law enforcement officer, especially somebody in uniform who shows up on the scene of something like this. Just the fact that they're in uniform escalates the right. situation. Um, the problem I have with a group like MH First and uh, ones like it is that there's an adversarial a relationship with police. I mean, they talk about it. First of all, again, this was born out of a group called Anti-Police Terror Project, right? And even though this group, MH First, hasn't responded to any crises involving law enforcement yet, they train their volunteers in something called cop watching, which means they believe they're the ones who are going to watch the police officers and that they'll behave correctly. That, to me, is is proof that that kind of a setup is not going to work. You should have be to be in able, coordination. You have right. to coordinate yeah. that relationship. Right. Because on the off chance that Bobby shows up in his polo, uh, his polo shirt that says MH first to a situation where he's going to require that officer to either taser that person or much worse. There could you know be times that he has to protect Bobby. Bobby's going to want to have that police officer on his or her side and not feel like it's an adversarial relationship. Well, the NBA is telling players where and when they will shower during this season bubble in Florida. We'll tell you all the uh, different particulars about what they've put together in this 113-page manual of health and safety. Sounds like my seventh-grade PE teacher, Mr. Mejia. He told us when and where to shower. Yeah, like players are going to wait till after the game so they get in their hotel room to shower. Give me a break. So they're going to be all gamey in their oh, game uniforms? Ridiculous. And... Gary and Shannon will continue. Showers are ridiculous. And, and it's a shower. And you're cleaning. You're cleaning. Don't you want to be cleaner before earlier as possible? Is it the earliest you can be? I suppose. Gary and Shannon will continue. Our cleaning segment when we come back. 
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Atlanta waiting a decision on whether the DA there will pursue charges against the two police officers in the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks, the man who was uh, sleeping in his car at the Wendy's, blew a .108 breathalyzer. They attempted to take him into custody. He grabbed one of the officer's tasers in a fight, took off running, turned towards the officers as he ran away from them, and that's when one of them fired, killing him. There was a strange story of a congressman's wife died uh, in the family's home on Tuesday. Congressman uh, Andy Barr, Eleanor Carol Lavelle, was 39 years old. Uh, and at this point, they haven't said anything if there were underlying health conditions. Uh, from the entertainment world, a stand-up comedian, uh, Chris Delia, has been accused of sexual harassment and misconduct, including soliciting nude photos from minors by a growing list of women this week. He was a actually a comedian and pedophile in the second season of You on Netflix. And that apparently prompted a flurry of allegations from women that his character in the Netflix series was actually him. Wow. Uh, the last comedy show I went to at the comedy store down in Hollywood, I was, Chris Daly was there. I mean, a bunch of people were, I mean, he wasn't the only one, but there were a bunch of people. Did you get there. a vibe? No. No. I mean, he's an odd guy to begin with. He's, yeah. he's very frenetic in his delivery and everything, but. Well, the NBA has put out guidelines for the 22 teams moving to Orlando, Florida in early July to restart a season that had been suspended for about three months. And they've put together a 113-page manual of health and safety rules that dictates how the players and coaches will play, live, and kill time when they finish the season there at Disney World. It sounds like hell. It's like if I'm a, if I'm a player, I'm not signing up for this. They will be sequestered in three Disney hotels. And they say that if a player doesn't want to go... For health reasons that are legitimate, they won't have to, yeah. and they won't lose salary. Yep. But if a player doesn't have underlying health issues and still doesn't want to go, he's going to lose money. A player making $10 million per year will lose roughly $108,000 per game missed for up to 14 games. Now, call me crazy, but the optics of having a majority African-American league sequestered at Disney World for our entertainment and they have to go or That's, they lose money. There's some weirdness Bad in optics, yeah. America. There's some weirdness in all of it. Really bad. <laughs> uh, the, the, the players themselves, I mean, for the most part, you, these guys are running, I don't know how many miles of uh, 48 minutes of basketball correlates to but these are some of the most athletic people on the planet right now and they're relatively at low risk if they were to get COVID-19 I'm sure that there would be people you know if some of them have asthma or if they've got other you know lung issues that would potentially or other underlying health conditions that would make them more vulnerable yes but in general they're not the ones that are going to be uh, at risk it's going to be the coaches some of those coaches in their 60s and 70s on the sidelines now, the coaches um, would be uh, allowed to also stay home, um, but this is a weird... So when everyone gets there, 
They'll have to self-isolate in their hotel rooms for up to two days until they have two negative tests. Players and staff can't go into one another's rooms. Good luck with that. Uh, through July 21st, players cannot socialize with players staying at other hotels. To limit the spread, of course, in just in case. They can go to the games, which that's got to be weird because... If you're a basketball player, you're going to go watch the other basketball teams play, and you're the only one in the stands. The player, this is what I really don't get. The players will get dressed before games and shower after games in their hotel rooms, not the locker rooms in the arena. So you're going to have these guys uh, make sure that they get dressed in their hotel room, and then they're going to go play basketball, which is a High contact sport. Yes. But you're worried about them dressing next to each other, but not worried about man on man coverage. Like, what are, what are we doing here? I don't understand the whole. And then and then you ma- you're making them shower. So they're, they're going to play the game, be yep. drenched in yep. sweat and each other's sweat. Right. And then sit in it longer till they get to their hotel rooms to shower. Who came up with this? Um, There's disinfecting. Balls yeah. recommendation. Okay, so that's another thing. Like, <laughs> you got 10 guys on the court. Chances are, over the course of just a couple of minutes of play, everyone's touching that ball. Right. And unless you're switching balls out uh, left and right, like you would at a baseball game, for example, uh, everyone's going to be touching everybody else's sweat. Isn't that the whole thing that they're – this whole – Stupid safety theater thing that you're talking about. Guests are not invited on to the campus until the end of August. So they're going to be there for two months with just themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say that they are planning entertainment options, movie screenings, DV, uh, DJ sets. There will be video games, table tennis. Table tennis. But they expect players to practice social distancing, which means no doubles matches. But again, <laughs> they're playing basketball games, and then they go back to the Disney campus, and they can't. And then they play have to ping stay pong with each other. other. <laughs> now, if someone does leave the campus, they say no one will be stopped from leaving. But if they do come back, they face a ten-day quarantine, at least ten-day quarantine. And then they have to go. Then they make it sound horrible. We're putting the, the deep NBA nasal testing. We're putting D, uh, the NBA players in a Disney prison for entertainment. This is going to look terrible. As much as I want to see sports happen, there's a if lot it of has to be like yeah. this. Yeah, and that's is no one getting. That? I mean, your point of it being a close quarter sport where you're all over each other for. 48 minutes on that court and then you're told to then you're told to socially distance it doesn't make any sense Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We are standing by at noon is when we're expecting to get an update on the shooting of Richard Brooks in Atlanta. The Fulton County DA is expected to make an announcement, his decision 
on whether to file charges against uh, one or even both of the officers involved in the shooting death from Rayshard Brooks back in uh, on Friday of last week. Do you hear about the guy stealing beehives? <laughs> no. Guy by the name of Perry Bays has been arrested and charged with possession of stolen property in the first degree, a felony. He stole dozens of beehives across the West. He's been arrested in Washington State. The, they say the bees could be worth more than two hundred thousand dollars. Wow! I didn't know there was that much money in bees. Nor did I. Did you? Um, we'll have to talk about that Florida guy stealing things also. And we'll do that in the one o'clock hour. That that's that's the soundbite of the year, perhaps yeah. the the sheriff who said you can never trust you can never trust a fart if you're over sixty. That's his quote, not mine. Anyway, tell there, me the story. There is one. There is one Division One college football stadium named for African-American. One. You know where it is? Iowa State. How did you know that? Or is it because I already played the fight song and then said it's a story from Iowa State? The latter. Let me tell you the story about Jack Trice. He was Iowa State's first black athlete. What year? 1923. Well, I think he started actually in 22 or 21, but in 1923 was was uh, a significant event because Jack Trice, born and raised, I think, in Ohio, uh, he went to live with his uncle for a time, just absolutely loved sports, loved playing sports, wanted to go to Iowa State and get a degree in animal husbandry. He wanted to go from... Iowa State back down to the south and help uh, former slaves and former slave families develop farms. And he was going to be an animal expert, veterinarian, basically, to come around to these different places and and help them fix their animals, bring their animals back to health, figure out how to use their animals, all that sort of thing. So Jack Trice was a, a track runner and a football player. October 6, 1923. Jack Trice and the Cyclones play University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. He's the only black guy on the field that day. And because he was black, he had to stay at a different hotel than his teammates. The night of the game itself, he was allowed to go to the hotel, but he couldn't eat in the same room. He couldn't eat in the dining room with his teammates. Second play of the game, Jack Trice breaks his collarbone. Second play of the game. Or it's broken, depending on who you listen to, from a a bad hit. He swears he's fine. The doctors tell him, you cannot go back and play. He says, I'm fine. He goes back into the game. In the third quarter, he attempts a roll block, which is illegal now. But he would literally fall on the ground and roll. Knock the guy's feet out from underneath him. Um, while he's on the ground, he's trampled by three Minnesota players. Once again, claims to be fine. The doctors send the sideline doctors send him to the hospital. They declare him fit to travel by train. They declare him fit to travel, so he goes back to Ames, Iowa, with his teammates. Two days later, he dies from hemorrhaged lungs and internal bleeding as a result of the injuries sustained during the game. Good God. 
Now, there's a lot of speculation around that last play that resulted in his death because many of his teammates claim that after the Minnesota Gophers targeted him throughout the first two quarters because he was the only black guy on the field, one of his teammates told the Cleveland Plain Dealer 50 years later, one person told me nothing out of the ordinary happened. Another person who saw it said it was clearly murder. God. They, Iowa State closed the campus the next day in honor of Jack Trice. His funeral was held at the Iowa State College Central Campus in Ames, October 16, 1923. 4,000 students and faculty members in attendance before he was buried. His casket was draped in Iowa State school colors, cardinal and gold. I thought this was going to be a good story. I didn't say it was great, and I didn't say it was happy. Iowa State did not play. First of all, they did not renew their contract to play against Minnesota. They did not play against Minnesota until 1989. Wow. It was 1975 when they built a stadium for Iowa State Cyclones football program, and they named it after Jack Trice, the first black player ever at Iowa State and the only person to ever die in a sporting competition at Iowa State. That's incredible. I did not know that story. I've never heard that before. All right, coming up next, all of our trending stories. We've got our small business shout out. Oh, and details from John Bolton's tell all about the president are slowly seeping out. Salacious. Mm-hmm. Gary and Shannon will continue. Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, full bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery available ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard this summer we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new nissan we invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views premium seats in all rows and connected tech while avoiding baggage fees layovers and neck pillows so fasten your seat belts and enjoy non-stop routes to summer because the best way to travel this season is in a new nissan And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to $3,500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, $3,500 on 2020 Rogue consists of $3,000 cash back and $500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 7-6-2020. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? In the middle. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Every once in a while, we get these interview pitches. And let me tell you, pitches be crazy. This actually is not a horrible one. Hey, we're delighted to include Point Reyes Gouda from California cheesemaker Point Reyes Farmstead Cheese on the list of 10 great cheeses for Father's Day. 
Oh, that's pretty good. They're offering up a San Francisco cheesemonger who describes Point Reyes Gouda as aged over 18 months, a version of an aged Dutch cheese, sweet, sharp, and salty. Hmm. Sounds delicious. <laughs> but I like you... a, a good Gouda. A good, yeah. sweet, sharp, salty Gouda. Gouda. It was published in The Cheese Professor was this article. So uh, if you're looking to have questions about the article, about The Cheese Professor, about Point Reyes Gouda, or San Francisco cheesemonger Gordon Edgar, you can contact me. That's odd, though, for a Father's Day Ten gift. great cheeses could for you, Father's Day. Can you imagine handing your dad a block of cheese? Well, Gary Same. likes just sharp cheddar, right? Yeah. So you just want oh, that. I would do that. Yeah, yeah for, would do that. If it's an appropriate Do you want me to book aged? the monger? Should sure. I book the cheesemonger? Do you want me to text your kids that they should get you a block of cheese? I think we're cheese good right now. Are you? Yeah. Okay. So I'll book the monger. Mm. No, don't book the monger. Book Kevin Costner. Yeah, quit quit letting yourself oh, be I'm distracted. We're going to have a cheesemonger or we're going to have Kevin Costner. <laughs> wow, that's it? <laughs> what else is yeah. going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, any moment now, the Fulton County DA there in Atlanta will announce his decision on whether to charge the police officers involved in the fatal shooting of Rayshard Brooks. They have uh, microphones and podiums set up in a courtroom there in Atlanta. The charges could potentially be for Officer Garrett Rolf, the one who fired the actual shots, and Officer Devin Brosnan, who was on the scene. And if I've watched this video enough, it makes sense that it would be Devin Brosnan's taser that was taken. Rolf, the officer who shot and killed him, had several citizen complaints on his disciplinary record. All with notes that no action was taken. He was also the subject of a 2016 use of force complaint that resulted in a written reprimand in 2017. Uh, I did see a couple of other um, instances from police officers and uh, police chiefs who have seen that video and said it is unfortunate, but that was according to what would have been policy in their departments. It was a what they call a good shoot in that it was justified. So. Uh, we'll see if these charges come down uh, soon. We'll break in and, and let you know what they are. Uh, Chris Dahlia, the comedian, stand-up comedian, is in some trouble. Um, he's been in a lot of uh, – he's done a lot of stand-up. He's been in a lot of shows, including, I think, it, uh, Whitney on NBC. He was on The Good Doctor. He was in Alone Together. But he was also in a Netflix show called You. Great show, by the I way. I don't know anything about it. It's a great show. But apparently he plays a pedophile in the second season, and he plays uh, he plays Joshua Bunter, a comedian who is secretly a child molester. Well, uh, somebody on Twitter named Simone Rossi posted screenshots of emails she says that he sent her as part of a Twitter thread. Um, and he, she says she was 16, he was 34 at the time, and she's saying that, you know— the literal irony of him being cast as this child predator on the show. Uh, he has just put out a statement. He says, I know I've said and done things that might be, might have offended people during my career, but I've never knowingly pursued any underage woman at any point. All of my relationships have been legal and consensual. I have never met or exchanged inappropriate photos with the people who have tweeted about me. He says, that being said, I'm really, truly sorry. I was a dumb guy who absolutely get myself caught up in the lo- the lifestyle. 
That's my fault. I own it. I've been reflecting on this for some time now, and I promise I'll continue to do better. Yeah, this woman, Simone Rossi, suggests that he would have known or he was aware that she was in high school when they were communicating, considering my entire Instagram was high school football games and spirit days. Uh, She did say that for the longest time, I thought it was embarrassing for me that I was interacting with this older man, but he was the one who DM'd me on Twitter and was the one who was twice my age and was the one that used power imbalance between us to his advantage. So uh, F Chris Delia. It's just a couple messages. Yeah, like he asked for a picture and she sent him a panda bear. Uh, when she, when he asked, do you want to meet up tonight? Or she asks, do you want to meet up tonight? And he writes, yes. Can we make out? Uh, I don't know. She's not the only one. There are a couple of other women who have come out and said the same thing, or at least made these same allegations. Aunt Jemima will change its name and logo. The brand's origins, they say, are rooted in a racist stereotype. So they will remove the image of Aunt Jemima from the packaging, according to PepsiCo. Do you remember when the they used to do the commercials where the bottle would come to life? Yes. I love that syrup. I haven't had syrup in so long. Both Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's have been criticized for relying on the titles Aunt and Uncle which historically were used by people who resisted applying the honorific Mr. or Mrs. to an African-American person. I did not. I didn't understand that. That was the first time I've seen that. Fritz Coleman is retiring from NBC4 after nearly 40 years. This is the second big departure from the L.A. telly. Uh, Dave Lopez announced he's retiring for after 40 something years. Yeah, Fritz, uh, for a long time, was uh, there with Colleen Williams and Chuck Henry and Fred Rogan, of course. Uh, After a year of planning his retirement, according to Channel 4, Fritz decided to spend more time with his family, appreciate his good health, dedicate more time to his comedy, uh, which is, I think, the first time I ever met him was at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood. I did not know he did comedy. Oh, yeah, long-time stand-up comedian. Oh. Uh, Hosted all kinds of shows and did his own stuff. He'd been aired... uh, His humor featured in a bunch of different shows on NBC4, including What a Week in the early 90s, It's Fritz in 88. (laughs) It's Fritz. He got four L.A. Area Emmy Awards for his work on those specials and series. I know something that'll make you happy. Yeah. You want to talk about beer? Okay. I'm in. We'll talk about beer when we come back. Okay. Just because we deserve something nice. (laughs) Sleep time. I missed that up. That's okay. It's delicious syrup, and you were a child, and you did liked all syrups. Have, did both of them have uh, bottles that, that were shaped like people, though? No. Because Mrs. Butterworth definitely did, because that's the bottle came to life. Right. Just no, Aunt Jemima, I don't think, did. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, she. I think both bottles were. Would look like people, they? right? Well, no, 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 no. Well, I feel like that bottle evolved. Oh, definitely evolved. It evolved. Yeah. Like at one point, wasn't it like a lady? And then it just became like the label yeah. that was red. 
Yeah, with her face on it. It evolved. I think, I think she all, was a person. At we've all point, evolved. A person body. Right? I mean, we've all changed the way we look. I haven't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The older ones. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it since I was five. God, this is a deep dive. <laughs> we'll here. have to get into that at some point. Maybe in the one o'clock hour, we'll revisit that. Um, we are still standing by, waiting for a decision from the Fulton County DA in Atlanta, a decision on charges in the Rayshard Brooks case. It looked, and I can't list, I can't hear it, but it looked like there was a fire alarm going off in the courtroom. So I don't know if that has delayed things, but it was supposed to take place right at noon. But we get into our uh, small business shout out today. Today's small business shout out brought to you by LT Generators, your neighborhood and emergency generator solution. Check them out at ltgenerators.com. Today, we're talking beer. Our friend, John Bird, Master of Festivities, Director of Sales, and co-owner of Ennegrin Brewing Company over in Moore Park. John, John, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, guys. This is cool. So what is your specialty there? <laughs> so we uh, we specialize in German-style beer, um, basically like really old-school style, something you don't really see in most other places, but specifically lagers, um, which, again, is something that, uh, most other breweries aren't doing, or if they do, they have one or two here or there. And we have basically nine out of our 12 beers are lagers from light lagers, the dark lagers, everything. But we kind of really focus on German-style beer. I notice on your Instagram you guys have got some uh, some wieners and sausages mixed in there oh, as well. Is that boy. something that you're offering? Uh, what's today? Uh, <laughs> we Well, yeah, actually, we, we sell some... Um, some U-Bite sausages that you can get from uh, the brewery or delivery and stuff, too. And that's a German couple out of Camarillo that have some amazing sausages um, that everybody should try. They're called U-Bite sausage. So good. And they go perfect with our beer. So. Uh, so a couple of months ago, when we get all this, when everything shuts down, what did you guys do? You guys had to kind of change the game a little bit. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it basically everything kind of switched up overnight and uh we had to go directly to pick up uh pick up only and about i think it took us four or five days to get into delivery also so we um we started doing local delivery around our area more park simi valley thousand oaks area um and uh yeah just trying to adapt our website our ordering system everything was i mean i was at my computer for like 24 hours just trying to figure it all out. Um, but we had a great response from everybody local. Everybody loves our beer. It really pushed us to innovate to start doing local delivery, which we've always wanted to do, and start doing shipping, which now we do throughout California. So um, really opened up some opportunities for us, which have been great. I've always been fascinated by that rule change from alcoholic beverage control about delivery, about uh, to-go sales and things like that. Do you think they're going to go back? Do you think they'll ever go back to uh, those original regulations that we saw pre-COVID? You know, um, so for us, it's different than like a restaurant because we don't serve food. We have a completely different liquor license. So technically, everything that we are doing, we've always been allowed to do. Um, But the difference is in you know, the restaurants and stuff, so you can get the beer to go and things like that, which they never um, allowed before. I don't know. I've always gone back and forth. Um, I, I don't I don't necessarily know why they didn't allow it in the first place. In some other states do allow that. Um, you know, up in Oregon, they have gas stations where you can get a growler of beer, you know. Um, 
which is cool. I, I like selling. We're luckily we have package, we have cans and all that, but we love, you know, putting things into draft and everything. Um, and it's going to move more beer if people can get them in different ways. So I'm all for it. So you started brewing beer in your dorm room at Loyola uh, Marymount. <laughs> that sounds gamey. So that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh so Chris Ennegren, Matt Ennegren, two brothers, and uh, our buddy Joe were the first original three founders. I came in a few years later, but I went to high school with Chris. Um, and, yeah, they started basically brewing on a stovetop in the dorms. Um, so, And then from there it went into uh, you know a garage out at one of their houses over there and then moved back to Moore Park to their parents' house, built a, um, a small brewery in the garage there, but really um, – technologically advanced for what homebrew was. Um, and this is almost 10 years ago as well. So um, Chris was a mechanical engineer and his dream was always to build this brewery. And so what he's done with our system and where we are now is kind of really what has made our loggers stand apart from everybody else's beer. And what makes our beer so good is he built this from scratch with the knowledge behind the history and what you need to do to be able to brew these German style beers. So, but yeah, it all started in a dorm room, basically. <laughs> uh, the only thing I don't see on the website is a dunkel. Do you guys make a dunkel? So we, Oh man, it's not on there. See, this is the other thing with our website is I get uh, information just like this. And I have to go back to our website because it just sometimes kicks things off of our website. We do have a dunkel right now. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing beer. We're kind of towards the end of our Dunkel season as we move into the springtime. Um, with COVID, we've uh, and slowing down beer sales, things that we had planned didn't quite move as fast. Um, Dunkel being one of them, our Maybach is another one that uh, we had planned for those to. Ba- they would have usually been sold out much earlier than they were this year, but so luckily we do have some more of those beers um but then we're getting into our summer beers our spring um uh our, our pilsners we're gonna have like three or four different pilsners on we have a rosin beer which is a something we kind of came up with it's a crystal wheat lager that comes out on father's day well rosin means lawnmower so it's a father's day beer. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah john uh yeah. thank you for your time we appreciate it you guys look like you're having a lot of fun over there in moore park Oh, we try to. We really, I mean, we're so glad to be back open and having people in the uh, the beer garden and um, and serving beers and making people happy. So excellent, John Bird, Master Festivities, Festivities. I love that title. Director of sales co-owner, <laughs> Ennegrin Brewing Company over in Moore Park. Uh, EnegrinBrewingCompany dot com. That's E N E G R E N. Ennegrin Brewing Company dot com and uh, Ennegrin Brewing on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They got all the information about the beers they have and what the hours are for the for the uh, brewery. John, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. He's already gone. Okay, yeah. you just got rid of him that quick, huh? We are expecting a decision soon on the charges in the Richard Brooks case out of Atlanta. We'll bring that to you when we see it. Uh, Swamp Watch also when we come back. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The DA there in Fulton County is announcing warrants have been issued in the Rayshard Brooks killing. He has not talked about charges 
thus far. He did say that they're going to issue warrants, but he didn't say anything about what the charges would be. And he mentioned multiple warrants. So I wonder if that means that both of the officers who were involved are going to be charged in this. Well, and the officer whose taser was taken, uh, what would that be? I don't know. Because he's not the one who shot. I don't right. think. I mean, based on what they said. But um, we'll keep an eye on that. He hasn't, again, hasn't gotten to specific charges against the officers uh, or officer. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that. It's 1230, though. It's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, two books about the president, one by his niece, Mary, the other by his former national security advisor, John Bolton, are among Amazon's bestsellers. And they have been yet to be released. Pretty amazing. We know that the Department of Justice is coming out and may uh, may try to block publication of John Bolton's book due to come out on Tuesday. Catherine Falders is on the story for ABC News and for KFI in Washington, D.C. And Catherine, we understand that the um, Justice Department filed this suit. How quickly will this thing be heard? Is it going to be in time to stop publication? Yeah, well, that's a great question. A lot of legal experts who we've spoken to say they don't see this moving quick enough to actually stop the book from publishing. This book publishes on June 23rd. Copies have already been uh, distributed to some members um, of the media. Uh, But essentially what the administration is asking this federal judge to do is to um, order Bolton to what they say complete the pre-publication review and, quote, not disclose classified information without written authorization in the forthcoming book. I've been talking to uh, White House sources, administration sources, who, you know, privately acknowledge that, look, the book, it's already been printed. We're not going to stop it from publishing, but uh, perhaps Bolton may face, you know, some legal action after the book is printed as it relates to Uh, what the Department of Justice, what the White House is calling this breach of this confidentiality agreement that he signed um, at the White House uh, when he he began working there, um, not to disclose classified information, for example. I read in the uh, Wall Street Journal that uh, John Bolton wrote in the book that the president pleaded with China, with the, the Chinese president to help him win reelection. Are there any other nuggets that have kind of leaked out? Yes. So uh, you've probably seen recently in the past 30 minutes or so in some of the papers, the New York Times, the Post and the the Journal are uh, painting this picture of the president's dealings with other nations and including that example um, from China, uh, as you mentioned. And in this episode, you know, bears a striking similarity, perhaps sounds familiar as it relates to asking another a foreign leader um, for some political help, for example. You remember that was the basis of the impeachment inquiry uh, that the president pressured the Ukrainian president to dig up dirt on Joe Biden in exchange for uh, military assistance. So uh, what this book will show, and as the details uh, emerge, is really a window and descriptions into the president's um, dealings with other nations, including seeking favors from uh, authoritarian leaders. I will note, though, that John Bolton uh, it does go into other events that he thinks um, are impeachable. He says he he believes that the House impeachment inquiry 
um, against President Trump uh, should have covered you know, more than just that, the dealings with Ukraine. Uh, but I should mention that John Bolton did have the opportunity to testify uh, back at the beginning of the year in January, and he decided not to. Uh, Catherine, do you know the procedure if there is somebody who's going to publish a book that might have national security issues or classified um, uh, classified information? Who is it that has to do that? Does the publisher notify the government? Does the government just get wind of it and say, hey, we need to take a look at it before you publish it? Right. So this process, and it's a good question because it's, it's you know, not particularly out there in the public how this works. But, but what happens with these books is um, books that could contain classified information from officials leaving. The publisher, or John Bolton, or the publisher, in this case, would have shared it with the uh, National Security Council at the White House. And that goes through what is called this pre-publication review. So a person over there reads it, and they scan it for classified information. And there was a back and forth. Uh, between the National Security Council and Bolton's uh, attorney uh, going on. And and the book does incorporate a lot of those changes. Now, uh, what's interesting here in in this process and what the Department of Justice lays out in their filing is that the National Security Council, after some back and forth, did approve the review, did say, okay, I've been through it. Here are the changes. We've been back and forth. It's good to go. Um, Then a lawyer for the White House, a White House lawyer, um, then intervened in the process and then stands back through it uh, for what they would think would be classified information. So Bolton's attorneys, of course, um, argue that this is a last-minute intervention and a breakdown um, in the process. But that's typically how it works with books like this from high-level officials who are leaving, who have access to that classified information. Catherine Boulders, thank you so much. Appreciate the insight. Thanks, guys. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, unveiling of Senate Republicans' version of police reform legislation, how it differs from what Democrats have said. And uh, a guy we haven't heard from in a while, Dr. Anthony Fauci, chimes in on the possibility of putting together campaign rallies. Uh, Fulton County DA there in Atlanta, Paul Howard, says he will issue arrest warrants in the death of Rayshard Brooks. That uh, they're going through the evidence of what happened that night at that Wendy's drive-thru. And uh, th- he says, this is, this is new to me, that officers stood on Rayshard Brooks's shoulder and kicked him while he lay on the ground struggling for life. Yeah, that they did not get medical attention for him for 2 minutes and 12 seconds after he was shot. Wow. We'll continue more with that uh, as we get some more information coming in out of Atlanta. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. At the top of the hour, we're going to get some more information about the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, announcing charges against uh, the officer who shot and killed Richard Brooks in that Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta. We now know 11 charges, including felony murder. This was a key, though, from just a couple of minutes ago. This, again, the Fulton County DA, Paul Howard Jr., explaining that the other officer, Devin Brosnan, who was on the scene, 
has turned state's evidence is going to testify against his former fellow officer. We have had something quite remarkable to happen in this case, and it involves the testimony of the other officer, Devin Brosnan, because Officer Brosnan has now become a state's witness. He has decided to testify on behalf of the state in this case. That's that's pretty amazing. We found out a key piece of evidence here that for two minutes and 12 seconds after Brooks was shot, the police failed to provide any medical attention. One officer kicked him while he was on the ground and the other stood on his shoulders while he struggled for his life. He said that the district attorney said that the other officer is going to make a statement, but he's not ready to do so today. Yeah, and some of the assault, uh, aggravated assault charges apparently stem from the officer missing Richard Brooks and hitting a car that was in the parking lot at Wendy's. And they were referred to witnesses, West Memphis witnesses. And uh, we believe that those three people in that car uh, are those West Memphis witnesses that they referred to early on. But again, quite, uh, I, I don't know if I uh, was expecting this, but this is a strong statement, yeah. a very strong statement made out of Atlanta today. Felony murder among 11 charges filed against that cop in Atlanta who killed Rayshard Brooks. Again, a whole lot more of that coming up at the uh, top of the hour. In Swamp Watch, though, we continue to see what's going on with the government's response to the calls for police reform. Senate Republicans today unveiled what they called the Justice Act police reform legislation. A couple of things uh, that they have involved uh, would be an accountability measure, um, an enhanced use of force database. They would put restrictions on or, or they would ask for restrictions on chokeholds tied to potential federal funding for different agencies and create new commissions that would study law enforcement and race. South Carolina Senator uh, Tim Scott was one of those who stood at the podium this morning. Too often we're having a discussion in this nation about are you supporting the law enforcement community or are you supporting communities of color? This is a false binary choice. Uh, But he did say they want to restore confidence in law enforcement around the country. The answer to the question of which side do you support, it's I support America. And if you support America, you support Restoring the confidence that communities of color have in institutions of authority. Uh, A couple of things that Democrats have asked for that this bill doesn't include. One of them would be an outright ban on chokeholds, although uh, you could make the argument that most major police departments in terms of size, police departments and sheriff's departments have have, uh, banned chokeholds already. And it doesn't end qualified immunity for, uh, for law enforcement, at least not this bill. Dr. Fauci hasn't gone away quite yet. Where's uh, Anthony been lately? They asked if he would go to Trump's Tulsa rally. <laughs> he says, of course not. We haven't gotten out of our first wave of the COVID. Uh, he told the Daily Beast we're seeing infections to a greater degree than they had previously seen in certain areas, uh, certain states, including in the southwest and the south. I don't like to talk about a second wave right now because we haven't even gotten out of our first Um, When asked about the threat to public health of the upcoming rally uh, Saturday night in Tulsa, he confirmed or he affirmed he would not feel comfortable going. But he's also 79 years old and he admits I am in that high risk category that we've been warning people about. Right. So 
he's better outside than inside. No crowd is better than the crowd. By the way, there was a uh, some TV station reported earlier that he, that he hasn't spoken to the president in two weeks, something like that. Well, we haven't heard from him in a long time. Remember, he was on that self-imposed quarantine right. for a while because there was somebody close to him that potentially tested positive. Representative so. Andy Barr's wife has died. Carol, 39 years old. Uh, it's a tremendous grief and pain that they feel right now. Uh, they're not talking about how she died. Which is weird because 39-year-olds don't just fall over. The coroner's office says she died at 6.55 p.m. yesterday, that the cause of death will be known pending an autopsy, but that the manner of death was natural. At 39? I guess it could be a heart issue. That's, I mean, defect? A defect, a stroke, or I don't, I don't know. know. Um they do have two kids together, and unfortunately, the chief of staff for uh, for Congressman Andy Barr had to put out a statement that said that they'll release a more detailed statement at a later date. Right now, uh, Congressman Barr is solely focused on being a father to his two beautiful daughters. So, sad story out of that. Um, the uh, the other issue about uh, police reform that's uh, that continues to be talked about was uh, the president from yesterday. There were suggestions that the president missed an opportunity to talk about uh, race and racism when he talked about police reform. But I don't know what the expectation was for him to to jump into that. Uh, and, you know, there's criticism that he didn't use that. Uh, he didn't use the term racism at one time yesterday in his uh, discussion about what he would do executive order wise in terms of police reform. Well, remember, in his uh, his rally on Friday on Juneteenth, it's all done by design in Tulsa, scene of uh, massacre from the 20s. Massacre on African-Americans. Uh, he's going to address racism, according to uh, McEnany or whatever the hell her name is. Kaylee. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh I mean I don't know. He's maybe he pulls out a surprise on us and uh he delivers a spectacular speech. Maybe. And also maybe not. But but we shall see. All right, when we come back, um Mark Ramillard's going to join us. We're talking about this massive announcement from Atlanta. The Fulton County DA has decided to charge uh felony murder and 10 other charges against the former cop for Atlanta who killed Richard Brooks last Friday. Specifically, a surprise that the second officer who was there, Devin Brosnan, will be testifying against his former partner. All right, all the details coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Big news out of Atlanta, Georgia. The officer who shot and killed the man at the Wendy's drive-thru has been charged 11 charges total, including felony murder. The second officer is going to testify for the state against his former partner, Uh, He also faces some charges. Mark Rebelard is joining us uh, with more on all of this for us and for ABC News. Mark, what's going on? Yeah, as you mentioned there, 11 charges against uh, former officer Garrett Rolfe, who uh, was subsequently fired following this shooting. One of those felony murder, uh, the most serious charge, which could carry 
up to life in prison without parole or the death penalty. Uh, so he's facing very serious charges. And what we learned during this press conference uh, that's still ongoing at the moment was that the other officer, uh, Officer Devin uh, Brosnan, has flipped and turned state witness uh, against Rolf in this case, although he is facing charges as well, including aggravated assault uh, for standing and stepping on Brooks's shoulder. Uh, Richard Brooks was the man who was killed, stepping on his shoulder uh, as he laid on the ground before he died. Uh, and uh, according to the prosecutor in Fulton County, they said they're not aware of another time that an officer has turned state witness against another officer in a situation like this. They referred to a couple of things um, that I wasn't that weren't quite clear. They said that they had spoken to witnesses from West Memphis, and I did see that one of the aggravated assault charges involved uh, discharge of a weapon that eventually I, I don't understand. Did somebody get injured that was behind Rashard Brooks? I do know that another car was hit by a bullet. Yeah, so th- that's my understanding is that another car got hit by a bullet, and I believe. Uh, that uh, the attorney, uh, an attorney for one of the witnesses or one of the people who was perhaps in that truck uh, or, or in the Wendy's line, essentially had said that they were fearful because of the gun going off uh, from this officer and the way that it was pointed very close to uh, other bystanders. So I think that that's uh, part of the concern here. But in terms of uh, the witnesses, I know that uh, I believe Fulton, the Fulton County District Attorney said that they spoke with Seven witnesses in total, and he did mention those three witnesses. I'm not too familiar with the backstory there, uh, other than what we just heard in the uh, press conference itself. It looks like the demeanor, uh, Rayshard Brooks's demeanor that night, played into this decision. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that was one of the interesting things. Was you know, a lot of this case going forward is going to hinge on uh, the officers. Uh, what he has said through his attorneys uh, was his fear uh, of either grave bodily injury or death to himself or others. And that is why he says he was justified in firing his weapon. However, the Fulton County uh, District Attorney today uh, was saying that for 41 minutes and 17 seconds during this interaction with police, they say that uh, Brooks was cooperative. He was cordial. In one instance, the District attorney described him as almost jovial in dealing with the officers. Uh, And then things escalated so fast as soon as uh, uh, Officer Rolf, former Officer Rolf, tried to restrain him. And they say that they didn't even tell him during that interaction that he was under arrest for a DUI. Then the uh, the uh, you know, the the physical altercation occurred. Rolf, uh, excuse me, Brooks gets a hold of the taser, runs away. And one of the other things that they said here was that under Georgia law, The officer cannot shoot his weapon at somebody who is fleeing in a means to prevent their escape. They're not even allowed to do that with a taser. And so this officer certainly had, uh, as we saw from the video, Brooks turned back with the officer's taser. But they said that it had been fired twice, that Rolf would have known that that was no longer a threat to them. And that from there, he opened fire, shot a man twice in the back as he was running away from him. And so according to the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, there was no reason to believe that he posed uh, a dangerous threat to him or others. Uh, Again, uh, the officer has defended himself through his attorneys, hasn't directly responded to the charges yet because this just happened. But, uh, you know, this will be what I guess gets played out in court going forward.
Yeah, and that second officer, Devin Brosnan, who now says that he will testify uh, against, uh, I guess you'd say his former partner, uh, but no timeline from the DA about when we'd hear from that second officer? Uh, no, not that I've heard on the press conference. I've had to step away here or there, but from what I've uh, not from what I've heard, they said that uh, it was just recently, I believe, over the last couple of days that the officer uh, decided to cooperate with them. Um, and, you know, they, they essentially said that this officer, the second officer, uh, has only been on the force since 2018. So they said that he wasn't that experienced with DUIs, and that's why he had called for some help. And this is how Rolf enters the scene. Uh, and they say that he actually told them he was surprised that it even elevated up to the level of arrest in the first place and then uh, became very emotional when he started having to talk about the fact that the shooting occurred and, and Brooks died. So uh, that's what the, the kind of the narrow picture we've gotten so far from the district attorney there about the cooperation of that second officer. But in terms of a timeline, what, what we do know is that these officers have had a warrant issued for their arrest. They have until tomorrow at 6 p.m. to surrender. Uh, but in terms of actually being indicted, arraignments and things like that, I don't think we have uh, any details yet. Also, uh, not calling for any sort of medical help for more than two minutes. Yeah, that was another thing. That's another thing that they said they hinged the decision as to why they don't believe Brooks was, uh, excuse me, uh, Rolf was justified in firing his weapon and, and that he did not believe that Brooks posed a grave threat to bodily injury or death. Uh, because they said that after the shooting, immediately after the shooting, they said their demeanor, the officer's demeanor was uh, not one of fear of Brooks, who was then laying on the floor. And they said that the officer kicked Brooks while he was on the ground. Uh, and the reason that the second officer is facing charges is because that officer stepped on Brooks's shoulder while he was on the ground. So those are the charges that the second officer is now facing. But they do say that the first officer who shot him actually kicked him while he was on the ground and showed no instance of fear uh, toward Brooks after he shot him. And so I think that's what they were saying. Part of the reason they based that decision on the fact that they didn't believe that he reasonably thought there was a threat there. Mark, thank you. Appreciate your information. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Mark Remillard there with the latest. And again, uh, 11 charges filed against uh, one of the officers in Rayshard Brooks' death including felony murder, what that means when we come back, because it's different. They don't do first-degree, second-degree stuff in uh, in Georgia. They do uh, they do it a little bit differently than we do in, in other states. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. At the bottom of the hour, Jason Nathanson's going to join us from over the hill in the Hollywood world. Um, ABC announces its fall schedule today. NBC did it yesterday. How is this? Is anything going to be ready by the fall when it comes to TV production? Uh, Barbara Ferrer with her daily Hunger Games death toll says uh, we've got another 34 deaths due to the coronavirus. 
but not uh, not Orlando Airport level. Fifty two percent of the population. No, 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 no. It was not fifty two percent of the population. But I heard the governor say out of five hundred, it was two. Uh, math can be. You know, misinformation difficult. is very dangerous. It is very dangerous, and the worst part is that it doesn't take a whole lot of of detective work to find out that that number was completely erroneous. But people on Twitter are telling uh, everyone to avoid Orlando. Apparently, it's like people from Tallahassee, I guess. Well, Fulton County DA Paul Howard Jr. from uh, from Atlanta made the announcement that felony murder will be charged uh, against the officer who shot and killed Richard Brooks in that Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta last Friday. Um, felony murder in Georgia. They don't do uh, first degree, yeah, second degree. No, they don't do that. They do felony murder. It would be a death that occurs during the commission of an inherently dangerous felony. Now, it's interesting because in California, our felony murder rule does not include the fel- the list of felonies that it applies to. Uh, on that list, assault is not one of them. Yeah, the, the felony that they're going to try to use is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon in the actual shooting of Richard Brooks. And then because he died call this a, a felony murder um the da paul howard jr did say that there were a couple of factors that went into this charge and one of them was the idea that for so ever many minutes 40 minutes 20 minutes whatever it was that richard brooks was just calm collected Compliant. at yeah. one point uh, even jovial with the officers because remember he he fell asleep in a wendy's drive through he was hammered Point one oh eight that he blew on the which isn't hammered. No, but it's a point oh eight is your limit. Oh two above the the limit um, would would get him a DUI likely. Um, there would be a chance that I suppose they just say, "Hey, park your car, call a friend, don't drive." Well, he anymore. did tell them that he was within walking distance distance of his home and that he could just walk home. Um, but the thing is, none of none of that I know what the DA's doing in terms of explaining that this was a calm thing made tense by the officers, but none of that plays into the moment of the shooting and in those three or four or ten seconds before the shooting, because as they went to handcuff Richard Brooks, that's when he started to fight back. That's when the wrestling happened. That's when he grabs one of the tasers and then runs away. The officers are chasing after him, but as Richard Brooks turns around and tries to shoot the taser at one of them, that's when the shots are fired that eventually put him down. This uh, officer could get life without parole. Th- this officer could get death. Yeah. But the question is, is the DA going to be able to prove the underlying felony of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon? Um. Because there are at least three aggravated assault counts. And will it matter? I I mean, it's 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 very rare that officers are charged with a crime as very even more rare that it's murder in the line of duty. And even more rare do juries convict them. But is that changing? Well, and- because of the big change that we have seen. Over just in the past uh, few weeks. And remember, the the other specific and and earth-changing thing in this case is that that second officer is going to testify uh, 
against Garrett Rolfe in this. This was the DA. Is that, is that is his aggravated assault charge for after the fact, after he was shot? Yes. So that's why he is not being charged with murder because he wasn't in the commission of a felony when he was shot and killed. It was right. after the fact. Yeah. So that second officer still faces three charges, including aggravated assault, but he will be testifying uh, against the guy who did the shooting. We have had something quite remarkable to happen in this case, and it involves the testimony of the other officer, Devin Brosnan, because Officer Brosnan has now become a state's witness. He has decided to testify on behalf of the state in this case. Uh, what he has said to us that is within a matter of days, he plans to make a statement regarding the culpability of Officer Roth. Uh, but he indicated that he is not psychologically willing to give that statement today. Uh, Officer Brosden, however, has admitted that he was, in fact, standing on Mr. Brooks's body immediately after the shooting. Uh, the DA also pointed to the lack of medical care that was given to Richard Brooks after he was shot. And he said, based on the video evidence, they have not just the surveillance video from the Wendy's, but also witness video that was, you know, people people were in line basically for the drive through and were sitting right there when all of this happened, uh, that for two plus minutes, the officers didn't do anything to give any sort of first aid care to a guy that had just been shot until one of the officers starts unrolling, I guess it was an ace bandage of some kind, to, to try to apply, I don't know, pressure to the gunshot wounds. And it had been, it was five minutes after the shooting before the first ambulance showed up. So uh, this is, I mean, I've already seen people say that this is this is overcharging, that, that felony murder is not going to stick in this case. Because the uh, you can't prove the aggravated assault, you can't prove the underlying felony of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, so... Coming up next, we will find out if we will run out of shows to watch. I don't think that's going to happen. We could always go back and watch Chips. Although people will probably take that off the air, wouldn't they? Also, a story out of Florida. We've said uh, before many times on this program, there's uh, there's something for everyone out there. Uh, you can find all sorts of like-minded people, yeah. uh, things to buy and sell on the Internet. Florida be a good place to start. Florida's a good place to start. Prepare they got, yourself. They got snails the size of basketballs there. Did you know that? No. Yep. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. She's gotten thinner. I think she has. Substantially. It has been funny, though, to see uh, the interpreter. That guy's hair's getting longer. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. Um, Barber shops are back open, sir. I don't know what he's waiting for. Uh, The big story out of Georgia is that the Fulton County DA in Atlanta has charged those two officers involved in the death of Rashard Brooks outside that Wendy's restaurant from last Friday. 11 counts for one of them, 11 counts, including felony murder. 
the other officer who was involved got three counts of aggravated assault, but for things he did after Richard Brooks was shot. And it's a key that that officer is going to testify against the other officer. Well, ABC is announcing its fall schedule today. What is there to announce? I thought that uh, production had been halted in the COVID times. Ah, well, to answer all of that question and others, our friend Jason Nathanson. Jay, what's going on? How's I got a new toy. I have sound effects today. Ooh. <laughs> is that safe to play with in the hot tub? <laughs> is that exciting? I don't know. I don't know what the buttons do. We don't know what the buttons do. I remember you said that in go. Oklahoma also. That is true. What does this button do? Uh, <laughs> oh. And then I touched it and Gary got all excited. So. Oh, Hold on a second. no. The bubbles. It does the bubbles. That's what it does. Gary. I don't think that's what we're talking exactly about. Exactly what it means. All right. So Just, NBC yes. announces yesterday. ABC announces today. Uh, right. There will be shows ready for the fall? Well, that's the question. I think they're doing this with the hopes of, hey, we're going to put it out there that this is going to be our schedule. Because they have to announce a schedule. They have to do this for advertisers. They have to do this for uh, their production companies and for actors and for locking up deals and things like that. They have to say, this is what our shows are going to be. And then I think behind their back, they're, 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 you know, their their fingers are crossed. They're hoping this is what's going to happen. This is like sports. Right. They're like, oh, we're going to do this. So we're going to have this. Exactly. And the league's going to start him. Uh, they're there. hoping on Monday nights, uh, starting in September, there's going to be Dancing with the Stars. Now, that's, you know, obviously a problematic show in this time of COVID-19. You have two people that are dancing and sweating on each other and in really close contact. And it's an audience-based show. They could get rid of the audience. They could sequester people and make sure that they're okay. There are ways that they could do that. And actually, in terms of production, that's probably an easier show to do because they do they they tape that week to week. It's not like they need months uh, of lead time of people in a studio to do that. So that's more possible. You know, the Bachelorette's on the schedule. That, again, in the age of COVID-19, you got one woman making out with 24 dudes. Not exactly hygienic, but if they all go to... <laughs> An island or, you know, some resort or somewhere else. There are ways to do that. What's more in question are the are the set-based shows. Grey's Anatomy, Station 19, The Connors, things like that. Because uh, with the guidelines that we're looking at, and this is, you know, what the unions are not happy about, You when you have... The, the most dangerous thing is having a bunch of people in a closed space, right? And that's what a set is. And there's only so many ways you can limit the number of people on a set. Usually you got to have, you know, a couple dozen people in there, and that's going to be the problem. What we're going to be watching very closely is today, The Bold and the Beautiful starts shooting. They start production at TV City. And uh, that's the first show that we know of really to, to have resumed production. They're doing it in different ways with masks and, uh, you know, temperature checks and, and limited people. If that goes well, that could be a model for how to go forward. How do you do a soap opera without uh, macking on people? Well, that, and that's the thing. It, it changes. <laughs> I haven't heard that term since 1995. <laughs> without, without hooking up? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it changes the stories for sure. I mean, people I've talked to, you know, writers are, are hesitant right now to, to want to change things if they don't have to. But... You're going to have to eliminate big crowd scenes or that stuff like that's going to have to be done in post and, you know, with FX and things like that. Um, the number of, of kissing 
scenes and people, you know, really getting intimate and limiting the number of people in scenes. Those are something that right. That's going to have to start at the writing level. But they think they have a way forward now. And so the with today's you know resumption of production, um, we'll see if that works. We're supposed to see those first episodes, I think, a month from now. Um, and then, you know, the other stuff. The other shows, if we're looking at September for fall, which is what the networks are, are hoping for, they don't have to go into production until August would be really stretching it. Uh, but that would be that would be a possibility. Uh, so we have some time. But like with everything over the last few months, anything can change on a dime. What about the Emmys? Well, and that's a that's a great question, too, because they announced that the Emmys are happening after earlier this week, announcing that the Oscars are being moved back two months. And those aren't until February. The Emmys are going to happen September 20th. That's still the date for that to happen. Jimmy Kimmel will be the host. But I love what he said in his statement yesterday. He said, I don't know where we will do this or how we will do this or even why we are doing this. But we are doing it, and I'm hosting it. He's an executive producer this year, so he has some say in how they do it and where they do it and how you know, all the details. But this is something that they're going to be figuring out on the fly. I don't think I – mean, I know for sure we won't see the red carpets that we've seen before. That's just not going to happen. And whether or not they do this you know, downtown uh, at Staples Center or LA Live or whatever in a big crowd with people – I don't know if that's going to be the case. I think what they want, what they absolutely want or, or they don't want is a show where it's Jimmy Kimmel in a box from his home giving out awards to people from their homes. That's not good TV and that's not what they want to do. But, you know, we still have a couple of months until that happens. Jason, have you ever bought underwear online? Of course. All the time. Really? Yeah, Absolutely. You get, huh. if you, like the Tommy John stuff, you got to get that online. You know, I don't, I don't know if you can get that in the store. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, sure. Uh, underwear, not a problem. Shoes and pants and things like that, no, I don't, I, I that doesn't work well because you got to try those on; they never fit right. But underwear, pretty, that fits pretty uniformly. You know what I love about you, uh, you and Alex Stone. Uh. Is you can ask you guys any question, and it's like you don't even have. There's no double take. There's no even, like why. Yeah, you didn't even pretend. Like oh, I'm sorry, I missed that last question. Did you yeah. say do I purchase underwear online? This, and Alex and I actually talk about this a, a lot. This is part of what we do. We have to be able to whatever question gets thrown at us. Uh, and actually, we talk about you guys a lot. Gary will throw questions at us that make us pause. But we have to make it sound like we know what we're talking about. So, so you say things like, that's a great question. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Gary, that's a fantastic question, Thank Gary. Thank you very much. Like, like my soap opera question. Do you have Why are we I'd asking about under- Well, uh, coming up next, we're doing a story about another man who liked to buy underwear online. Mm. But he did yeah. he did illegal things with it, Jason. Just, oh. Yeah. Well, it's not illegal Ill- to mm. eat well, we'll get into it. Ah, oh, boy. Wow. Ooh. Jason, we appreciate your time, and I'm we gonna, appreciate you. I'm going to stick around. At least I'm going to listen to the next segment. Okay. <laughs> Peak my curiosity. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. <laughs>
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Listen, we wanted to steal this one because we got to end on a lighter note. Although it's it's not light. It's not light, but it's one of those that you just will shake your head at. Now, I want to introduce you to or reintroduce you to Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd. This is a law enforcement officer from Florida. And a couple of weeks ago... He was talking about the threat of civil unrest in Florida, different parts of Florida, Lakeland, Florida specifically. But the sheriff got in front of the podium and basically warned people, if you're going to start problems, don't do it in Polk County. I would tell them if you value your life, you probably shouldn't do that in Polk County because the people of Polk County like guns. They have guns. I encourage them to own guns, and they're going to be in their homes tonight with their guns loaded. And if you try to break into their homes to steal, to set fires, I'm highly recommending they blow you back out of the house with their guns. Okay, so that just gives you an idea of the straight talk that comes out of Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd. This is truly a John and Ken story, and they're going to be so upset that we stole it from them. Well, they never had it. Uh, but they'll just be upset. This was a press conference that good old Sheriff Judd had called Operation Guardians of Innocence 5. This was about getting bad guys in custody. One of the bad guys they actually arrested a few months ago was a guy named Jose Araza, 58-year-old guy, and they would picked him up for uh, child pornography. Um, he's one of several men who are now facing a bunch of different felony charges, child pornography connected. But Sheriff Judd also found out more information about Mr. Araza. This is not edited. We didn't plan it like this. This is the way the sheriff ran the news conference just the other day. Well, here's the news flash. You look at this guy, Jose. You know what else he was doing online? He was purchasing soiled underwear. Sold. Did you hear me? Soiled. Soiled. Did you hear what I said? There's a market out there. You can go online, and if you're a deviant, and you're into sold underwear, and you know what all kinds of things get in sold underwear, right? Uh, if you don't, Sheriff Judd will tell you. Sometimes you think you're passing gas and you're not. You can't you can't trust a fart when you're over sixty. But this guy'll buy it. He was buying these things and ingesting them. Did you hear me? He was munching on them. <laughs> this guy's got a problem. I don't know if he realizes it or not, but the rest of the world does. Why do I do that? Well, you'd think it was for some levity. It's not for levity. I want you to understand what deviants these people really are. Oh, my gosh. He was buying sold sold underwear. This guy's got a problem. This guy's got a problem. You can't can't trust a fart when you're over 60. No, you can't. Now, I didn't know about that. He was munching on them. You didn't know what? Uh, the thing about the the passing of the gas. 
Is that a is that a life truth? Is that an age thing? I've never heard that. I've never heard I've, an age limit put right. on it. I've just heard that in general. It's a general rule in terms of is good. It? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In terms of life. Hey, Matt. Just, uh, he was buying these. Help things. me out with yeah. something. Um, we've we've got a sheriff in Florida saying that if you're over sixty, you can't trust a fart. Can you say shart on air? Uh, no, you cannot say that on the air. No. no. Uh, no, we, we can try. Did you say? Did you say I like your shirt? Because it sounds like what you said. Right. I like your shirt. You can, right? Okay. Have, well, that's why. Right? Have you ever? Yeah, has that ever happened that's to exactly you? Exactly right. Is that a? Good question. Not recently. No. Maybe in your youth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it has. Happened to you, right? No. Oh, a liar! Man. Just such a liar. <laughs> Get out of here with your foul mouth. <sighs> Yes. Why? Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> That's the end of the show. We quit. We I've, quit about an hour. And I haven't half talked ago. to you in three months. Get in here and talk to me about farts. This guy's got a problem. This guy's got a problem. Thankfully, we probably won't be doing this. I know. Oh boy. So. What's that supposed to mean? I know. I well, there's like two schools of thought: the optimistic people who are like, "Yeah, the season's going to start in October," well, and the then the, the realists like me. No, are they going to put you're you in a studio of, somewhere to watch it? Well, you're essential though because you're calling the game, or would they just have there. national? Yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit to the other team, right? If they yeah. don't want to set up a broadcast booth and sanitize that booth and make sure that you're socially distanced from all their people, they don't know if you've been quarantined. Like, I just think all the other venues are like, no, we'll worry about our people. Don't bring your people. With so you. what I'm hearing is we will go to Jacksonville <laughs> because they don't care. That's a good point. And Miami. And Miami. And Miami. Means you're my partner at the water park this time, so I don't get accused of being a pedophile. That's right. Exactly. That was such a good story. <laughs> That guy got a problem. <laughs> this guy's got a problem. He's got a problem. Thank you, Matt. Hey, thanks. thanks. <laughs> yeah, we do jokes about balls, too, in here. You know what he was doing? He was munching on them. It's, it's, uh, guy's got a problem. You can't trust a fart when you're over 60. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, John and Ken show coming up next. They better. Stay dry, everybody. <laughs> 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 so stupid oh yeah this is terrible gary and shannon it makes me mildly nauseous Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, whole bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery of available.